Good afternoon, my renegades. Welcome back to Rogue Radio. My name is Sarah Jane, and today is Persecution Press. For those of you who do not know what Persecution Press is, it is a segment where I go and find stories of Christian persecution in different countries around the world. So yes, this is what we're going to be doing today. And um, if you have any comments, questions, or concerns, please contact me on the links down in the description below. Thank you so much. As you all know, or if you don't know, all of my resources and all of the stories that I get is from persecution.org. So let's just jump into the trenches and let's read these stories. Okay, our first story is from Nigeria. So it says an insider's view on the slaughter of Christians in Nigeria. So there's actually a um, video so we're gonna just listen to that. gave Nigeria the dubious award for being the worst world in the country for persecuting Christians, or at least the worst place to live. And that's for a good reason. You see, over the last 20 years, uh, 70 to 100,000 Christians have been murdered. Another 3 million have been left homeless, and they were pushed off their homes by radical Islamists, their homes or their farms, and they now live as internal refugees. So massive disruption, massive killing, and most of the killing now, it used to happen in the north, but all the Christians have been driven out. So now the killing is mostly happening in the middle of Nigeria, and that's called the Middle Belt. And so we get reports from our staff all the time, almost daily reports. And I mean, these are horrible because it's pictures, it's everything of these brutal attacks where uh, Islamists come in with guns, with machetes, and drive out Christians and kill whoever is not quick enough to get out of the village quickly. In today's segment, we are going to be listening to the head of the Christian Association of Nigeria for Kaduna State. Kaduna State is the center ground uh, of persecution in Nigeria. You're going to be fascinated because this guy does not pull punches. He'll tell you like it is. Too many of the politicians uh, or the administration from Nigeria lie about what's going on. This guy is telling the truth, and it is refreshing. Uh, I think you're going to be fascinated. God bless you. I'm Reverend Joseph John Hayab. I'm a Baptist pastor. And I'm currently the chairman of the Christian Association of Nigeria in Kaduna State, Northwest Nigeria. I've been doing interreligious dialogue for quite some years. Uh, despite the challenge, I still feel that we need to dialogue because the more we dialogue, the more we reduce the tension. Dialogue was a key to reducing tension. Dialogue was the key to reducing the persecution. Unfortunately, as someone who has been in the forefront of dialogue, I can confidently say today that 
we've not achieved much because we are dialoguing with people who do not think they're supposed to even listen to us. We are dialoguing with people who think we are nobody. They are only just tolerating us. The resistance of the domination, the resistance of the oligarchy, the resistance of all those structures that exist became something that the Islamic uh, system never wanted. And then they turned it to a clear persecution okay don't allow them privileges in schools even if they go to school make sure that they don't read courses that will make them look strong let me cite practical example with my daughter my daughter was the best student in her class when she was finishing high school because she had six to seven different science award she scored a score that no i didn't mean to pass it allow her read any subject and it was her desire to read medicine but her sin in the school she chose was her religion she wasn't given admission if i suffer that think of many ordinary christian nigerians many ordinary christian faithfuls uh, in the north whose children cannot get admission to read the course of their choice because even when they go to apply good courses law or mass comp they will not be given the admission even if they have the best of score but someone who have lesser score will be given and their crime is their fate if you talk about statistics kaduna state alone between the year 2000 to 2021 Kaduna State have lost over 35,000 people because in the Sharia crisis of 2000, in one night, I, Reverend Hayat, buried 2,000 people in one grave. When we try to look at the figure of those who are killed, it's even beyond what you are saying because in my involvement, 50 to 70,000 is a very low number. A lot of Christians have been killed. I'll give an example. Many communities in the past, 30 will be killed, 100 will be killed, and they will just bury them, no one will know. It is now that we are beginning to say, wait a minute, let the world see our cops and know that we are not just talking about Figo, we are burying people. And when we count the number of people displaced, even according to the statistics of United Nations, the people displaced in, in Chibok area and others are far, far, far beyond the number we are talking about. So we've had millions of people displaced. Western government can help us by number one, make it mandatory for our government to act responsibly and bring every perpetrator of violence act or killing of Nigerian citizens to justice. Those who are in government, who are championing this crim criminality, championing this persecution, will take their children to holiday in America, take their children to holiday in England, take their children to holiday in Germany, take their children to holiday in Paris. Can Western government put an embargo that anybody who is being accused for supporting this kind of criminality must not have visa, neither him, his wife, his children or his immediate family to go out of their Nigeria. If we force Nigerian election to begin to count, if we insist that those who wreak election can also not get visa, those who wreak election can also not go to Europe or abroad, then this evil thing will stop. Even the population census that Nigeria is about to have, I want the international community to be interested. We've always had fictitious figures of people claiming certain states are more can we really do a census in Nigeria that is honest? A census that count human beings, not animals. A census that count true figure of persons, not figures just to use to get the money of Nigeria. Then we would have transformed this country.
Well, I hope you enjoyed that. I love Reverend Hyde because he tells it like it is. This is an insider who's covering this issue. He knows what's going on. He has a long-term view. So we are constantly trying to wake people up to what's going on. And if you'd like to help the victims of Nigeria, please go to the links below. We'll share that with you. And God bless you always for caring for God's forgotten people, the persecuted. God bless you. This one comes from China. So it says, Olympic athletes uh, warned against criticizing China's human rights abuses. Um, As you guys know, um, or if you guys don't know, um, the Chinese government has chosen to um, be basically um, a communist state. It's always been a communist state, but I feel like it's become very... um, like, much more controlling over the years. Um, they have rewritten the Bible um, into a socialist version, saying that, you know, Jesus is also a sinner. Um, they have put so many um, security cameras out and about the town, out and about the whole, like, more populated areas to watch everyone's move. Um, everyone is basically watched 24-7, um, by the Chinese government. And not only that, there have been people that have fled to America that were part, um, of, you know, being a Chinese citizen. And even then, Chinese, um, people from the government have actually harassed people in America who have decided to become citizens of America and harass them um, terribly because they feel like they betrayed the government. I don't know. Um, So there's a whole lot to kind of unpack with that. So um, since the Olympics, I guess, were or is still going on in China, um, I know it was scheduled to be in China at some point, but I guess, you know, We're just going to read it. (laughs) As Olympians from around the world uh, prepare to travel to Beijing for the Winter Olympics, which I don't understand why we're going to China since we know that Corona came from China. But anyway, Olympics, they have received an eerie warning from Chinese officials indicating that if they speak out in a manner critical of China, they may be subject to punishment under Chinese law. Okay, that's against actually the law. Because if they're not a citizen of your country, you cannot punish them. I don't know. I feel like if they're not a citizen of your country, you have no authority. Anyway. um, In what is a clear attempt to silence criticism during the Olympics, an official uh, with Beijing Olympics Committee informed the athletes that expression in line with the Olympic spirit, I'm sure, will be protected. Any behavior or speeches that are against the Olympic spirit and especially against Chinese laws and regulations are also subjected to certain punishment. Okay, um, this warning to athletes brought to life. 
an earlier reported warning from Human Rights uh, Watch, which cautioned athletes that speaking out against China's abuses may threaten their safety. The warning comes in spite of an International Olympic Committee ban on activism during the competition. As the Beijing Olympics have generated a significant amount of political activity um, in response to the sweeping human rights violations occurring in China, as well or as this will be a globally watched event, China is undergoing heavy scrutiny as activists have continued to shed light on the alleged Chinese genocide of... Okay, I didn't... I feel like I have read about this or maybe I haven't I mean either way I'm not surprised but um, shed the light on alleged Chinese genocide of um, Uyghur uh, Muslims I'm probably mispronouncing that taking place in China's western Xinjiang province Um, regardless China is now hard to control the narrative. Oh, I'm sorry. China is working hard to control the narrative. All right. Um, from outside China, activists and national governments have attempted to pressure China to put an end to its abuse of religious and ethnic minorities by enacting diplomatic boycotts of the games. Unfortunately, this had little effect as multinational corporations uh, continue to maintain their advertising budgets and generate significant support for the games amidst the growing human rights crisis. While the Olympics are meant to represent a platform for good-natured competitiveness, um, it is overshadowed uh, this year by growing persecution within China's sphere of influence. Religious minorities are regularly harassed. Ethnic minorities are being subjected to a systematic campaign of um, internment um and many of china's political dissenters are constantly weary of being arrested (sighs) wow this new reality announced today where athletes must be watchful of their host country um as an absolute travesty for both the olympics and for the state of human rights in china yeah um, I don't know the whole, um, I don't know the whole etiquette between, like, all athletes and talking about the country that they're being, you know, that they're performing in or anything like that. But I, I do know that if, like, you're not the citizen of that country and you say something bad about that country that you are in, it shouldn't be punished, but then again, they're a communist country and they kill their own people, so, you know, things aren't fair over there. Um, you guys know that I just, I disagree wholeheartedly with China. I don't like it. Um, I, I don't, I don't like what they're doing to their own people. I don't like what they're doing to the Bible. And, yeah. I'm, I'm sick and tired of it. Oh, 
Okay, this one is from Finland of all countries. I... We have had some sort of uh, story about how Finland doesn't want to work with Hebrew um, like merchants now because of the whole dispute in Israel, I think. But, um, so yeah, Finland doesn't want to accept any type of imports from Israel at all. So now Finland is in the news again. Um, I'm kind of sad because usually the Scandinavian countries are kind of like the, the middle ground for any type of dis- dispute. They, they just, I don't know. I feel like, like, I, I don't know. <laughs> There's so many things I want to say and my mouth just cannot keep up. I'm sorry. Um, I want to say that Scandinavia is like the cool kids group of, you know, Europe sometimes, you know, Denmark, um, Finland, Sweden, Norway, Iceland, you know, all those countries are neutral countries. They don't really, you don't really hear about them. You don't really hear them in any dispute at all. So when I hear about Finland in a dispute, it's kind of surprising. But then again, now, um, I kind of expect it since I'm starting to kind of figure out the character of, you know, Finland. But anyway, anybody who is listening from Finland, which I know you guys are, don't think that I'm coming after you guys when I talk about this. I'm simply just reporting on the government and what's going on. So, Finland, EU, denounced Pakistani man's death sentence over blasphemy. So this was today, I want to say, or yesterday. Um, This was uh, put up. Finland and the European Union have condemned the sentencing of Pastor Zafar Badi. Badi is a Pakistani man who has been sentenced to death for allegedly sending a series of blasphemous text messages in 2012. Pakistan has one of the most notorious blasphemy laws in the world with three levels of severity described. One, uh, the third, 295-C, commands a death sentence uh, if the accused is convicted. Um, The European's decision to condemn body's death uh, sentence is absolutely correct. Uh, the matter by Mika Niko, chair of the Foreign Affairs Committee of the Parliament of Finland, questioned whether the sentence was truly justified considering the severity of the offense and the act, or in the fact that Body had already spent at least 10 years in jail for the alleged crime. So is Pakistan and Finland, are they allies at all? I don't understand. I- I feel like I've reported something like this before, but I don't know exactly if I did. You ever get that feeling like, oh, I've read stuff like this before. I hope I'm not repeating myself. But maybe this is just a follow-up report. Um, I do know that um, somebody did... um, I know that there was some sort of dispute in Finland about... Um, the majority of people from the Middle East coming into Finland um, on non-citizenship, but um, 
I don't know if I've actually read this one, but here in Europe, there is no contrast between religious people uh, in our justice system. We treat people equally because it's the right thing to do in the eyes of God and of a human. But it's not okay for you guys to accept mercantile and imports from Israel. Okay. Um, all right. As you know, we have many Muslims here in Europe. We are working to build tolerance and peaceful coexistence. We intervene if Muslims are oppressed. Um, the letter said, violations against human rights and religious freedom cannot be tolerated anywhere. Violations against human rights. But you guys... You guys violated that own right because you decided to dispute importations from Israel because they were coming from Hebrew business owners. I'm sorry, but the the fin the Finnish government is hypocritical. It's like you only you only defend people when it works out for you. While Finland may not be the be an un I can't read now, I'm so mad. While Finland may not have an unblemished record of its own around religious freedom, the condemnation by Mika Niko um, is welcomed by most of the free world. Individuals like Zafar Abadi are regularly persecuted in countries like Pakistan, and we must continue to demand every individual have the right to practice their faith uh, in a matter uh, in line with his or her conscience. I understand and I agree with that, but then again, like I said, yeah, you're right. You don't have an unblemished record. I don't think any, you know, government does. But the fact that you're sitting here saying that it's okay to condemn, I mean, it is okay. It's okay to condemn the death sentence of one pastor. And I love that they're defending him. I just want to get that out there. The thing that I'm upset about is that you choose to defend a pastor's name, but you refuse to make business with Israel because of Hebrew um, business owners. That makes no sense. But anyway. Okay, this one comes from Kenya. I have listeners in Kenya. Hello, God bless you. Love you very much. Um, let's see here. Pastor beaten and hospitalized for his Christian faith. This was last year, so we have some um, backlog from last year just because, you know, it's the new year. Anyway, um, according to Morningstar News, a Somalian-born pastor in Kenya was attacked by four men on December 3rd due to leaving Islam for the Christian faith. On Wednesday, the pastor told the news source that two weeks prior to the attack, he received an anonymous threatening text message. Um, we are getting reports that you are now a Christian, it read. You, are, you have been missing um, our Friday prayer meeting. If this is true, then you are risking your life. 
while he had been Christian for four years, um, the pastor had continued to attend prayers at the mosque to avoid raising suspicions amongst the Muslim community. However, when COVID hit, it gave him an excuse to lower attendance. They started questioning me about not attending Friday prayers at the mosque, he told Morningstar News. I kept quiet and one of them threatened to kill me if I continued to keep quiet. Um, now my battery is low. Immediately he began to slap me while another held me, um, with the intention of strangling me and I fell down, he said. They started beating me with hard objects around my knee. Um, let's see, then, um, shouted, I then shouted for help and screamed out, um, a lot of pain. Thank God that at that moment a vehicle approached with bright lights and the attackers fled away, uh, leaving me bleeding in a pool of blood. Thankfully, the vehicle stopped and brought the pastor to the hospital where he received treatment for a fractured leg. He was released after five days. I know if I report this case to the police, then the attackers can easily find a way of killing me and my family, he said. My family is very fearful and terrified, and it is causing a lot of pressure on us. I thank God because he is a mighty warrior, pastor said. I am determined to serve him for making me alive for the sake of his kingdom and purpose. I got four more stories to read y'all. Alright, so let me find them and I'll give you guys a break. This one comes right out of the Philippines. So, former hardline group leader allegedly involved in Philippines cathedral bombing. This was from yesterday from International Christian Concern. Former Secretary of General, General, I'm sorry, former Secretary General of Islamic hardline group in Indonesia is said to be relieved to or related to the 2019 cathedral bombing in Jolo Sulu, Providence, Philippines. The ex-leader of the Islamic Defenders Front, the the FPI, God, I'm so sorry. See, I'm starting to hit the wall with reading out loud. (laughs) Um, Muna Munarman, that's his name, I guess. Munarman was identified by the witness in the trial of the alleged criminal act of terrorism at the East Jakarta District Court. On January 20th, January 17th, sorry, uh, the trial was conducted in a way where the identities of the judges, prosecutors, and witnesses were disguised. That's weird. According to CNN Indonesia, why are you taking advice from a democratic news source, persecution.org? That just made me very disappointed in you guys. 
the prosecutor first asked that this uh what a series of acts of terrorism were the background uh for the report the witness explained that Murniman's alleged terrorism why can't i talk um alleged terrorism case was related in the uh, allegiance ceremony in Makassar to the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria, or ISIS. Um, in 2015, Murnaman attended um, the mass religious gathering and pledged allegiance to ISIS. ISIS is still a thing. Wow. You know, you never hear about ISIS anymore um, on the news, which is weird. Or maybe I just refuse to watch um, established news anywhere on TV. Um, the witness explained that Murniman's reporting background was related to the case of the bombing of Jolo Cathedral Church in Sulu, Providence, in the Philippines, which is carried out by several Indonesian terrorists from Makassar. Uh, based on the police investigations, the Cathedral Church terrorist attack uh, was linked to the network known as the Makassar Group. More than 20 people were killed in the suicide bomb attack after the IS-linked Indonesian militant and his wife ripped through um, Our Lady Mount Carmel Cathedral. We've talked about Mount Carmel before. Um, let's see. The prosecutor believes that there is a link between the events that took place in the Philippines and the Makassar group's activities. The, or, and according to several witnesses, statements, and prosecutors strongly, the prosecutor strongly uh, suspects Murniman's brother was involved. Murniman was charged with mobilizing people to commit acts of terror, assisting acts of terrorism, Earlier, the panel of judges at the East Jakarta District Court rejected Murniman's claim that he was innocent. The judge said whether the defendant is proven to have committed a crime as charged by the public prosecutor or not, um, it is very, or is very dependent on the evidence on the next trial. So... He was allegedly involved, and they're trying to gather more evidence, um, is what it sounds like, to pinpoint him and actually charge him with the, um, act. This one is coming out of Uganda, and it has a video, so I'm going to play it for you guys. As you know, conversion to Christianity often invites a violent reaction. Uh, I can't tell you how many stories I've told you about fundamentalist Muslims. When they come to Christ, uh, they often get a violent reaction. So Janet was a fundamentalist Muslim. Now, she came to Christ, so she was not killed, but she did lose her whole nuclear family, all those closest relationships, and the extended family 
poof, all gone. Now, her husband was fine with her conversion for a while, but over time he became abusive. And it wasn't because of Islam, it was other reasons, but it, she, he hated her Christianity to the point that she had to flee with three small children. But she had no way to support herself. So as we sat there and consulted with her and interviewed her, we found out that, look, years ago she had been trained as a hairstylist. And she hadn't done a lot of it because she started a family. But she knew what she was doing. And so what did we do? We set her up with a shop. We found a shop for her. We paid for it for a number of months, gave her all the supplies we need, and set her into a new life. And she's done beautifully. And recently we spoke with her, and through tears she said, I want you to know that I'm going to use this shop for the gospel. And I'm going to tell everybody that Jesus rescued me in my darkest moment. Now, of course, Jesus did rescue her, but guess what? He did it through you who care about God's persecuted people. And for that, I want to say God bless you and thank you. And if you'd like to help people, follow the link below. I love hearing stories like that. I love hearing like um, stories of like positive stuff whenever I talk about persecution or something like that. And I end up finding something as positive as that. I love that. God bless you, Janet. Um, yes, much success to you. Oh my god. <laughs> so this one I found pretty interesting. This has no real country in general. Um, specifically. So... Decline of 2021 terrorist threats in Asia um, caused by pandemic restrictions. Um, the ICC reports <clears throat> in 2021 the number of terrorist threats in South East and South Asian countries have been reduced uh, thanks to the COVID-19 movement, movement restrictions. According to the least or the latest threat um, assessment annual report published by the Singapore-based think tank. Um, the counter-terrorist trends uh, and anal analysis... Why can't I talk? <laughs> uh, COVID-19 movement uh, restrictions had flattened the curve of terrorism. Terrorist attacks in Indonesia, Malaysia, and the Philippines and Bangladesh have declined um, as these countries were hit hard by the pandemic and struggled to contain the virus. Thailand, on the other hand, um, continues to see violent incidents uh, connected to an insurgency in the far south as the past, or as in the past, based on the research. I haven't actually talked about Thailand before. We're gonna have to talk about that at some point. In Muslim uh, majority Indonesia, given the outbreak of the coronavirus, the number of attacks and plots by violent extremist Islamic militant groups declined in the last two years. The two major terrorist groups in Indonesia, uh, Jamaa Anshrat uh, Daluas, <laughs> Daluas, J A D, and the Eastern Indonesia uh, Muhajinis, M I T are or were all relatively inactive um, compared to previous years. The uh, or this could be uh, attributed to movement restrictions and higher costs associated with domestic travels due to the pandemic. Benar News reports 
that 2021 JAD has in, uh, was involved in the latest nine incidents, including five using explosive materials. Those included two suicide bomb attacks and a suicide bomb plot compared with 11 incidents the previous year. Um, the police were the most common targets um, of terrorist incidents in Indonesia. Um, others targeted in Indonesian uh, extremists last year were civilians, uh, including Christians, as well as both Indonesian mainland Chinese and man- mainland Chinese. Um, the Malaysia and both met. What is wrong with me today? Anyway, both Malaysia and the Philippines also see a drop in terrorist activities thanks to the COVID-19 pandemic that have prevented people from traveling with uh, travel restrictions and lockdowns. I promise I'll get better at reading. comes from Afghanistan. It's a video. Give it a second. with our longtime partner, one of our long-term partners uh, from Afghanistan, and his name is Luke. And last last time, he was talking about some of the attacks of the Taliban and what Christians had experienced in the past. And he's going to kind of draw that out and give us more information about this. It's fascinating stuff. I hope you enjoy it. God bless you. Brother, first of all, um, Talk to me, or rather talk to individuals, tell people out there, uh, lay out the context, who are the Christians in Afghanistan and why are they in danger? The Christian population of Afghanistan, um, they're all converts. And that's really began with the 90s when, you know, there was a war in Afghanistan moved. But inside Afghanistan, it's really began with the, after 9-11, we, are, we had a very small window for some of the organization and, and, and people to be able to connect with the Afghan people. So through that, a very small window it happened, but very soon after that, the pushback started from the community. Many of the of the expats were kicked out of the country. Afghans very soon began to, to go through the persecution. One of the brothers that he was uh, reported to police by his wife, he was publicly on the court and then he somehow he was out of the country. So that, that pushback started from the community, but then the church slowly within grow and it spread around the country, um, and 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 Afghans from the small context of family and friendship, and that's how the church and this small cells begin to grow. But they're all converts, and 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 that's 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 moving through the 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 last twenty years as it grows for a number of couple hundred to couple thousand. Yeah, and no one really knows the number. It might be as high as 10,000. Is that fair? Yes, that's that might be correct. Yeah. 
And um, and you you said a lot in a little, and I just want to um, kind of expand what you're saying. So you said they're all converts. So under radical Islam, what is the penalty for conversion to another religion? So the Afghan Christians are in a very high risk because the current government that's imposing Sharia law is not recognizing them as a religious minority. So we are not a religion, religious minority, but we are converts, which the law of apostate will apply to the Afghan Christians. And that means the execution. Either they return to Islam, if, if they don't, and in three days, then they will be executed. So that's that's uh, pretty much, that's that's what this current government is, is having in, in, in hand. And Luke, so what you're saying is, look, under Islam, under radical Islam or fundamentalist Islam, uh, they will allow other religions. There's, they live under a system called dimitude that slowly strangles them. But that doesn't help the convert. If you're a convert, you're under, you're an apostate, you're under a death sentence. Is that fair? That's correct. Yes. Okay. So then let's look at the past. Uh, you formerly were in Afghanistan. You grew up there. You're Afghani. You have broad experience. You're in touch with all the believers. Let's talk about who the Taliban is. So there's what they're, what this image they're trying to project through the press, like, you know, now we're going to grow up and, and be good boys and girls. But let's talk about who they are and what they've done in the past. How do they treat Christians? Well, Taliban, during their, their rule of, of in Afghanistan in the 90s, they had no mercy even on any other recognized Afghan other minorities that they were originally Afghans. They exist there for 2,000 years. They tried to eliminate them, wipe them out. They tried to make everyone look like that. Even for the other sects of Islam, they tried to make them look like Sunni. They had to pray like that they had to act like that so that was there was no tolerance under the government of the taliban and they tried to brainwash everyone into putting that and there was the force into the madrasa they changed the school curriculums and seventh grade eighth grade ninth grade i did not i was not allowed to study history geography chemistry in the street there was islamic teachings that was absolutely that to brainwash and to and, 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 to, and to make you to go through that and it's high school you would join join the taliban and and move that but they were unlucky to be pushed out. And once they pushed out, their leadership went back to the neighboring countries or the mountains. They continue doing exactly the same thing. In the last 20 years, they have trained a new generation of young Afghans and very underprivileged families, very poor families mm. that they have recruited from them from very remote areas of Afghanistan. And they have taken them to madrasas and they have brainwashed them. Now they come back. The, the leadership is there. They're smart. They've gotten experience. They have, they have learned the language. They, they, they have, you know, they watch the news. They have kind of through that. They are the one who is the public face. But under that, beneath that, you're talking about thousands and thousands of young men and women in some areas that have been brainwashed absolutely from the age four under their under their system of education that are just trained to to as they call it dead squat which basically that's kind of the elite forces that you want to die go there. So that's that's what we had the ceremony of of the Ministry of Interior that he gathered all of the people who have committed suicide, their family members, and he thanked them for that. So that's that's what the, 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 the stage of violence in Afghanistan is that this is who ruled the 35 million population in Afghanistan right now. That's excellent.
Hey, I hope you enjoyed that. Luke is the real deal. He's from Afghanistan. Uh, we've worked closely with him for many, many years and with others. Uh, so he really knows the situation of what's going on on the ground in Afghanistan. And as we are continuing to work with him and others, we're currently sheltering a very large number of Afghans that are in intense danger and are hiding from the Taliban. And if you would like to help them, please go to the link below. we have some news from Iraq as well. International Christian Concerns reports the home of a Christian shopkeeper was attacked with both homemade bombs on November 28th. The Christian sold um, alcohol in his store and has been the subject of threats in the past. His home um, town of Alamara is home to only eight other Christian families, and the rest of whom uh, have fled to surrounding areas or emigrated uh, in search of security. The shopkeeper has an official license to sell alcohol in his store. Extremists targeted his home with two homemade explosive devices uh, thrown from a motorbike and caused by or caused only material damage to the building. No one was killed or injured in the attack. Thank God. Um, according to Chaldean Cardinal Louis Raphael Sacco, that's a that's an awesome name. <laughs> to Chaldean Cardinal Louis Raphael Sacco, the attack sparked terror in the family and the Christian community because it broke back or because it brought back memories of past violence the Christian uh, presence in the region is dwindling as Christians face persecution on many angles um, let's see often viewed as weak Christians assets and property are taken and expropriated Last but not least, we're going to be covering Myanmar real quick. Catholic Church in Kaya State attacked as fighting intensifies. ICC reports the Burmese army, um, Tatmado, Tatmada, um, has continually targeted churches and civilians in Myanmar's predominantly Christian regions, where thousands of people have fled uh, since February, uh, since the February coup last year. According to the UCA News, uh, Sacred Heart of Jesus Church in Doku uh, Parish of Loika Township in uh, Kaya State has hit or was hit by military airstrikes on January 12th, according to church sources. One of the two uh, bell towers of the church was destroyed, but there were no uh, reported casualties of civilians. A local priest slammed the attack as 
abominable and sacrilegious. Most tragically, the ones who were suffering because of the brutal persecution are the people of God, he wrote on Facebook. Since January, Loika, uh, capital of Kaya State, um, has been has seen intensified fighting between local defense groups opposed to the Tatmanda and their coup. Uh, the junta uh, launches airstrikes and fires artillery against civilians, displacing almost half of the population of Loika. Um, according to the reports cited in uh, by the UN, more than 650 houses and other civilian uh, properties, including uh, churches, monasteries, and schools have been burned or destroyed in Kaya State since May 2021. At least 15 parishes uh, in Loika Diocese um, that covers Kaya State have been uh, severely affected by the escalating fighting while at least seven Catholic churches in the diocese have been hit by artillery uh, shelling and airstrikes. An estimate of 170,000 people is taught or is thought to um, have homes in Myanmar, Kaya State due to the worsening attacks. Aid groups uh, attempt to provide uh, food and daily necessities have been uh, hindered by the Tatmanda. Thank you all for listening, and I will see you in the trenches next time. Love you, bye.